Our scripture reading is from the New Testament. It is St. Paul's epistle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 17 through 20. And as we are turning there, I'll have a drink and rejoin you and ask that according to your custom and the custom of the church, we stand for the reading from the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 20. This is the inerrant and the infallible word of the living God. Let us give attention. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Shared experience changes our lives. Shared experience with a miracle fuses our lives together for the rest of our days, welds our lives together. binds our lives together. At the end of Sully, the Clint Eastwood produced movie with Tom Hanks playing Captain Chesley Sullenberger, the captain of U.S. Airways 1549 that took off on January 15, 2009, We get to see this in action. At the end of the movie, we are shown that those who shared that experience of the miracle on the Hudson 
seek each other out. It's not merely that they get together for a club meeting. There's something deep inside of them now that has welded their lives together, though they had nothing in common other than the shared experience of being on flight 1549. Had it been an ordinary flight, they would have had a shared experience of flying together. And they might have run into each other years past and say, yeah, I've flown that flight before. Oh, you have? I have too. And they, they would experience some sense of community. But they had shared experience with miracle. And it fused their lives together. It bound them together. I had a seminary student several years ago come into my office to counsel with me, although in retrospect it was less a counsel and more of a monologue, as he told me his career map. And he said, well, uh, Dr. Milton, I, I'll be graduating, you know, this, this spring, yes. I haven't given you your grade yet, but yes, I guess you'll be graduating. Fooled with him a little bit, you know. And he said, well, uh, yes, I'll be graduating. He's a very serious young man. And I've, uh, I'm going to take a call to a little church out in the country. And I'll stay there uh, a couple of years. And then I'm going to leave, go to Europe, and get a doctorate, and then I'll return and teach. I said, well, it sounds like you've got a very tight plan, son. Oh, yes, and he was very kind because at that point he offered me an, an axiom to help me, and he said, you know, you've got a plan for today to succeed tomorrow. I said, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's good. <laughs> now, being a fly fisherman, I wanted to to give him some line and let him go a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so he said, see you later, professor. And then he's walking out the door, and at that time I decided to yank on the line, and I looked out the window and I said, but, and that was, that isolated conjunction was enough to make him pause, and he came back in and he said, but, but what? And I looked out the window as if I had found some mystery out in the parking lot. I said, well, but uh, there's this matter of uh, the people. He said, what, now what people are you talking about, professor? And my eyes went from the window to, to his eyes. And I said, well, well, the people you'll be shepherding, you'll be the pastor and they'll be your people. You said you were going to, a, yes, a little country church, a little country church. And so it seems to me that as you map out your plans, you should 
put in this variable that as you preach and minister the word and sacrament and prayer as their Christian shepherd under Jesus, that's, that's a powerful relationship. Something might happen there and might derail your plans. He looked out the window as if he could find that mystery I had been looking at. And he said, well, I'll think about that. And he must have thought about it right there because he said, no, I'm going to be there a couple of years and then I'm going to Europe. See you. And he left. Well, he did go to the little church, but he wasn't there a couple of years. He made it one year before he uh, was asked to leave. I'm sorry to say that. You see, what he had overlooked was the powerful relationship deposited throughout the Word of God and particularly underscored in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 20. And that is that God brings about Christian growth for pastor and people through the relationship in the local church of Christian shepherd and the Christian flock. The Apostle Paul here is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says he wanted to come to them. He, he, he says, I longed to come to you. He talks about his heart. It occurs to me that here is a man who was a very passionate persecutor of the church, and God uses that same passion to now love the church. It's a remarkable example of how Jesus uses the stuff that we're made of, but transforms it for his own service and his own glory. And it is true that Paul uh, was hindered, as we read in the book of Acts, hindered as the officials threw him and Silas out of the town, He was separated from them, and we begin to see then in this passage the relationship I wanted that student to see, a relationship that goes beyond what I sometimes read about churches who will talk about, we have community. Community comes from shared experience. But shared experience with miracle is something else. Shared experience with the Holy Spirit is something altogether different. I remember an Episcopal bishop in Kansas who once said to a crowd, I was part of the audience, he said, community is something that we Episcopalians talk a lot about and Baptists do. I thought that was a good statement. It's more than community. It's a binding together through the supernatural agency of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this dynamic work out? 
If you've got your Bibles, let's take a look and see. There's three peculiar dynamics I want to point to, and in doing so, I'm not only reflecting on my time with you, but I pray that I am discharging my duty as your interim pastor in preparing you in this final sermon that I'll preach in this role, at least, for your permanent pastor. And it has very deep, visceral, existential consequences for all of us. This is not just organizational behavior 101 in the church. This is about what it is to be a human in the Christian church, what it is to be a believer, how we grow. The Great Commission is given that there should be baptism and we should uh, be teaching whatsoever Christ commanded. Well, how does that happen? It happens, according to John 21, when Jesus says, go feed my sheep. It happens in Ephesians 4.12 where Paul says that pastors have been called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the beautiful God-created relationship that we have before us. Now, what's the first dynamic? He says in verse 17, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And here, we see the first dynamic, that pastor and people are bound together by a common love. Now, this love is similar to other loves, but it is, it is different yet. It is a love that is grounded in God's call on Paul's heart to preach the gospel, and it is grounded in the Thessalonians' the Holy Spirit's work in the Thessalonians' heart to receive the gospel. And therefore, when the act of proclamation in word, in sacrament, in prayer, in counseling, house to house, publicly, in the pastoral study, in an evangelistic setting, one-on-one, when that happens... The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Apostle Paul is welded together with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the individual believers' lives at Thessalonica. So it was not merely that Paul desired to go to Thessalonica and express this extraordinary language of passion and love because they were good-looking people or fun to be with or enjoyable, though they may have been all of those things. It was because 
on the road to Damascus when he was struck down and called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. He sees this manifested in the individual lives of this congregation. So this is not cheers where everyone knows your name. It's not that community. It's a community that is being brought together by the Holy Spirit. I like to say of the congregations that I have have served that that they are like they're like unique individual flowers. gathered and put into the pastoral vase on the mantle of our hearts, my wife and myself, and our son, as he's went through most all of, well, all of them. And it's a variety of flowers. It's like a spring bouquet because they're not all the same. I was different and they were different. I was different when I came, and I was always different when I left. And I want to say to you that your call to me to be your interim pastor when Bill McCurta and and Durley and Daryl, Pastor Daryl, met with me came at a time after a very serious illness where it was questionable if I would ever shepherd a flock anywhere. I was one man then, and I'm another now, because of you, your struggles, your laughter, your pain and your sorrow, your joys, the experience of you in private counseling, in public ways, for some of you house to house, at the communion table, at baptism, laying my hands on your children as they profess their faith in Jesus, seeing some of you recommit your lives to Christ and some profess faith. Congregations change preachers because a preacher's vocation is in many ways his sanctification. He lives out his ministry and he looks at the people he ministers to and he sees the life of Jesus Christ in them. 
in you. And for that reason, then I know that Pastor Dean was a different person after all the years he served here, but now he's going and shepherding a new flock. He'll be different still. And so will Pastor Adam as he comes and you begin to shape him. How? With your just being yourselves. Christ at work in you. Christ at work in the life of the minister. The Holy Spirit working out my call to preach, to teach, to proclaim, to serve the bread and the cup and to pour the covenantal waters. And you being the living expression of Christ before me. This we have, and it's unlike any other relationship. Dentist, lawyer, those are all very, very important relationships in this life. We couldn't get along without them. But we must remember that this has a supernatural element. That's what makes it work. And if that element is removed, it doesn't work. That's the love Paul has. If you were to look at the antecedent verses, you would see that Paul says in the verses just before this that when he preached, they loved his preaching. Now, not his style. He said he wasn't an eloquent preacher in other places. They loved the word that they were receiving from him. Common. A bond of common love. They're bound together. But there's something else. This is another dynamic. And we must be very careful about this. And we must, we must face it. For he says, despite all of this love and desire to be with you, he says, I, Paul, again and again, I wanted to be with you, but Satan hindered us. So we not only are bound together with a common love, we are united together by a diabolical attack. Satan desires to disrupt the pastor-people relationship, the shepherd and the flock. It's always been so. It'll always be so until Christ comes again. He desires to disrupt it, to hinder it. And in this way, in this time, he used the unwitting agents of uh, the authorities at Thessalonica and uh, the Jewish scribes who threw him out of the synagogue where he had been teaching and, and forbid him to come into the city. There are many other ways that Satan will seek to hinder 
a pastor coming. A pastor can, can be right here with you and not be with you. You understand? You can be right here with him, and, and yet you're not really there. There's, there's something separating. Years ago, I served on a commission that was to go and to investigate problems in a local church where this very thing was happening. And there was a great study that took over six weeks, lots of interviews and The day came when the commission was to report. A congregational meeting was called. The chairman went to the pulpit. The the members of the commission, in sober solidarity, were lined up in folding chairs behind the chairman. And the chairman announced what I believe to be one of the most remarkable cases of a collective diagnosis and treatment of spiritual ill in a congregation. The center aisle separated not only the pews, but the sides. They were separated, family against family. And he did not get into the issues. But rather, he said, it seems that the devil has had quite a lot of activity here. And if you want to remain in our fellowship, in this denomination, you will have to abide by our prescription. You must have communion more frequently. Weekly, at least monthly. You must call in another preacher, an evangelist, who will preach on the cross. And you must restore to the church prayer meetings. That is our ruling. And he sat down. And his rationale, the commission's rationale, was the congregation, there was no way to unfurl the tightly bound ball of twine of problems. Even they had forgotten what it was started about. But what they knew had to happen was the congregation needed to come broken before the cross of Christ to see themselves and their neighbors as in need of healing. So in word, in prayer, and in sacrament, they were to humble themselves before Almighty God that in due time he might exalt them. My charge to you is to stay humble, broken, and sweet at the foot of the cross. I have said to many people that the one thing this church has is love. And 
that's true. And you keep that and build on that and welcome others into that Christ love. We've experienced it. And we thank you. Now finally, the Apostle Paul concludes this passage with a, with a verse that has become very center, central, I should say, to, to my own ministry. He says then, he, he moves as he often does from the practical issues to the glorious and the transcendent. And he says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Is it not even you? In the presence of Jesus when he comes again. And you see, we not only have in common a, a, a common love, we're not, we're not only bound together by a common love and by Let's face it, the attack of the evil when we are bound together by a common destiny. And that is the work that we are doing now, the community in Christ that we are living now is going somewhere. The destiny is ultimately that the sky will be rent in twain, Jesus Christ will appear with Michael and all of the great angels and all of those who have gone before us who have been caught up in their bodies now resurrected, coming in glorious assemblage. And on that day, Paul says, I can boast about this. You're my glory and joy. And I can boast about you. You know, my Aunt Eva used to tell me, son, don't boast. Don't boast. But the Bible says we can boast in Christ, and she knew that. But the Bible says pastors get to boast in their people. The pastor's glory and joy is not a building, is not numbers, is not his influence or how many books he's written or what, or who's in his congregation, and it's his people. And his boast, his crown of joy is that on the day when Christ comes again, there will be a multitude of souls safe in the arms of Jesus as a result of his ministry in some mysterious way. So I say to you, you are our glory and our joy. And I am so thankful to place another gathering of flowers in the pastoral bouquet. John Fawcett, who was born in 1740, was pastor in the Yorkshire Dales, one of the most beautiful places 
in all of England. And he was a pastor at the Wainsgate Church in Yorkshire, at Camden Bridge. He had filled in his, he was not only well-loved but well-known, and he had filled in for the great John Gill at the great uh, church, which would become New Park Street Church in London, where Charles Haddon Spurgeon would one day preach. But at that time, it was John Gill, a great commentator, a great preacher, but he was lingering near death, and they had asked John Fawcett to come down from the Dales and to preach. And as John Gill died, the congregation called John Fawcett. John Fawcett was burdened by the opportunity to minister in London. And so the day came where the wagon was loaded up. But the whole congregation had come out. Mrs. Fawcett was there, of course, sitting in the front of the buckboard. <laughs> and her head was in her hands. Amidst all of the weeping and crying, which was so traumatic to him and to everyone there, as he was about to leave the manse, all his household goods piled up, he began to hear a song. It was a song singing in his heart about the love he had for his flock. And he said, unload the wagon. No doubt Mrs. Fawcett looked at him. Do you mean it, John? Unload the wagon. I've got a letter to write. He might have said. And he stayed. And that song of his heart became one of the greatest Christian hymns in all of hymnody. And I was just told by a missionary he heard the hymn in the basement of an underground church, literally underground, in China, being sung in Chinese. Blessed be the Thai that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall be joined in heart and hope to meet again. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting? Is it not even you when Christ comes again? You and your children and the grandchildren and the spiritual descendants of this church through the generations until Christ comes again, caught up to be with him in the air, to be with the true pastor. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to open your word and to open your word before this flock. 
these dear saints of God and many others who have come to hear and see. Thank you for the opportunity to minister the word here. May the blessing of the Lord be upon their pastor and their first lady, Mrs. Mum Power, upon Pastor Adam. May the blessing of the Holy Spirit be upon their session and deacons and the women in the church and the children, our staff, uh, these musicians, and all of the saints of God gathered in this community bound together by the miracle of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.